You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today, and we are uh, walking through the book of Romans, and we're really entering into, I know it's chapter 12, but it's actually the fourth section of the book of Romans today. And as we begin, I want to share something, a story that Pastor Suzanne shared with me last night from Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta. Uh, he told this story, and I thought it was a great way to kick off today's message. He said, sometimes I just want it to stop. Talk of COVID and looting, brutality, I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. And then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago not to see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big, and therefore I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted my hand. Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether I had been holding tight. They float away, and I'm left with a renewed spirit and a new way to write my own headlines. You know, today, church, we are not a people that we want to encourage you to detach from reality. That's not the point. But the point is, with all that's going on in the world, and to his list, we could add fires and droughts and wars and school board meetings and all the things that are, are points of tension in the country and in the world. We sometimes can lose perspective on the beauty that God is forming in this community. Um, and so today, uh, I hope that, that my message might encourage us to not detach from the reality of the world around us, but to introduce into that reality what's actually happening at this level in this community and the love that God is showing as we continue to lean in to the way of Jesus together. So with that, we want to go to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Enthusiastically. <laughs> you can't say enthusiastically if you kind of come down. So enthusiastically, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So that one said. From one know-it-all to other know-it-alls. We got some work to do today. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we just welcome um, your word through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans to kind of mess with us today. Uh, we pray that as we look at um, maybe a new perspective on what it means to live in community together, uh, we would do so with a real sense of your Holy Spirit's grace uh, on this um, group, this family that's gathered today. Lord, we love you and we welcome that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So as we look through the, the four sections of Romans, uh, the last of which we're entering in today, we have chapters one through four, where Paul has laid out how the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Chapters five through eight, how the gospel creates a new humanity that we're all invited into, whether we're uh, Jewish or Greek or Gentile or American. Uh, chapters nine through 11, the gospel fulfills God's promises. And now we enter into the final section, chapters 12 through 16, where Paul's gonna tell us how the gospel unifies the church. And it's interesting, if you if you've walked with the, us through the entire book, you'll remember at the beginning we talked about how Paul was writing to a church where uh, the Gentile believers were in the church and the Jewish believers were just now allowed back into the city of Rome and they were rejoining the church. And so you had these two groups that really didn't see eye to eye on, well, anything. Their backgrounds were different, their ethnicity was different, their belief systems were different, their views on who God was were different. They had just no common ground except for the fact that they were all in the same church. And so from the beginning, Paul is laying out like a good lawyer would do, laying out the case for why the gospel of Jesus brings different kinds of people together. And he doesn't just go at it from chapter one and start saying, okay, here's how you love each other, even though you have differences. Instead, he spends 11 chapters of this letter laying out the case why it is the transformative work of the gospel that takes us from a people who are, who are trapped in sin into understanding our need for grace into chapter five, where he talks about how God's grace actually brings us into the place that we'd always hoped we'd be. The wide open spaces of his grace and mercy. And then he goes on further and we get into the chapter seven and eight. And he talks about how we've received a spirit of adoption into the family of God. And now we can cry Abba or daddy to God. It's, it's mind blowing to the, the Jewish believers that are in that church. And he goes on, he says, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and now nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ, not life or death or angels or demons, the past, the present, the future, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. And he's doing this all to build up to this point where the reader of his letter is gonna say, so what? What do we do with this? This is amazing. This is, this is, is phenomenal. Now what? And we get to the fourth section. He says, here's what. Here's what, if all this is true, if this transformation has happened because of the gospel and what Jesus has done for you, this then is how we should live in community. And so um, with the beginning of chapter 12 and all, all the way through the end really, he is laying out the blueprint for how we love each other. In the first uh, verse that I read, Romans 12, nine in the New King James Version, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, if you're a Bible nerd or if you enjoy Greek fables, you might understand uh, that in ancient Greek, there are four primary types of love in the Greek language. Uh, there is eros love, which is romantic. There is storge love, which is familial. It's the kind of love that a parent would have for a child or a child would have for a parent. There's phileo love, uh, which we get the word Philadelphia, the name Philadelphia from, which is close friendship, brotherly friendship. And then there's a fourth kind of love that is, is in a category all its own because this is the only love that expects nothing in return when it's given. It's a love that is self-sacrificial. It is a love that lays down its own preferences and its own selfish desires in order to serve 
the one, the object of its love. It is the kind of love that is always used when describing the kind of love that God has for us. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, not because of what he could get back from us, but because he has this kind of love within himself. It's agape love. And up until this point in Romans, Paul has, has not spoken of this divine love, this agape love, except when he's talking about God loving us. But for the first time in chapter 12, he uses the word agape love, not in relationship to how God loves us, but in how we ought to love each other. With divine, self-sacrificing love that requests and requires nothing in return. This is the kind of love that we ought to love each other with. How do we do that? It's not a love that comes naturally. It's not a love that, that we can stir up or, 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 or um, you know, a love that we can somehow conjure and then, and then have it enough to where we, we begin to love people. No, it is a love that has been given to us. Or to say it this way, the love we give is the love that we've been given. And this is why it's so important that we don't skim over the first 11 chapters of Romans and just get to the part with, with, that deals with how we should love each other. It's because we won't have the love to give unless God has done a work of transformation by the gospel in our hearts and lives. And so it's with this agape love that we are asked to really be countercultural in the way we interact, not only with those inside our club, but with those outside of it. About 20 years ago, I was a punk teenager. Um, and we went with our church and there was a mission trip and we went to Mozambique in Southern Africa. And we ran, or helped ran and served uh, at a youth camp that was happening there uh, under a big tent in the nation of Mozambique. Um, and on this trip, uh, I was uh, paired with, as my roommate, um, a guy named Pastor Don. And I remember, I was quite an arrogant little jerk myself. He also was kind of an arrogant jerk himself. So you put us together in a room, not a good combo. Not a good combo. We were antagonistic to each other. Uh, we were not kind to each other. We were trying to embarrass each other in front of the group. It was not a good situation. And one of the final nights that we were in Mozambique before we flew out, uh, we, um, you know, everyone kind of went off to their cabins uh, for bed and there was mosquitoes. And so I lit a citronella candle and it was, I set it up on this ledge in the room and we went to sleep. And in the morning, that citronella candle had melted and the, the wax had run down the wall and filled his shoe, Pastor Don's shoe. <laughs> so if I'm being honest, 20 years ago, I don't actually remember uh, much of the ministry we did. I don't remember the camp. I don't remember any of the people that we were actually there to serve. That's all a blur, but you know what I do remember? I remember the satisfaction of watching Pastor Don dig wax out of his shoe with a spoon. I remember that and how that felt. And here's the thing. I hope, as satisfying as it might be, that when we look back on these days of the church and our church and, and what you've experienced here, that our memories will not center around the moments where we prove we were right or that somehow we won against our perceived enemies or our opponents that somehow our way turned out to be the best way and we found satisfaction in the loss of others, I hope that that is not the memory of these days of the church. Because here's the truth, and I think Paul knew this, and this is why he goes after this idea of unity so strongly in the book of Romans, because disunity overshadows the mission. 
It overshadows the reason we're here. It overshadows uh, the idea of life and love and Jesus. When we begin to allow ourselves to become separated by our opinions and the issues at hand, we lose sight of the mission that God has called us, not just as a church. You may care or not care about the mission of Westside Church, but what he has called you to as part of this community. Disunity overshadows the mission. And so Paul goes after it so strongly because he knows that nothing else good will come if this church fractures and splits up. He's not okay with the idea of two Roman churches, one for the Jewish believers and one for the Gentile believers. Not okay. Because Jesus himself came to not only open the door, open the gate so that all could come in and access and experience God through the cross, not only to do that, but so they could all experience the cross together, together. And so Paul is not satisfied with this unity that threatens the church. One of the greatest debates inside the Roman church and indeed anywhere that uh, Jews and Gentiles were gathering together to worship was a debate over food, was a debate over food. Uh, This idea of what was ceremonially acceptable to eat in the mind of a Jewish believer, kosher food, versus non-kosher food, food that was used in pagan rituals, food that was outside of the very strict dietary restrictions found in the books of Moses. And so they have this really passionate debate. And when they get together, there's a lot of differences, but the food debate comes to the center because it's so obvious. When you sit down at a table and you begin to eat and someone else is on a different dietary plan and it offends you, it comes to the forefront a lot. And so for the Jewish believers, this is an issue of sin. The kosher crowd is deeply offended watching the anti-kosher crowd around the dinner table. The anti-kosher crowd is angry at the kosher crowd for trying to impose their rules on the whole group. Doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? (laughs) I think he's talking about something other than kosher food in the first century. Maybe, maybe. Here's the thing, it had come to the breaking point. Not only for the Roman church, but, but... the Corinthian church, other churches that Paul writes to, he's constantly talking about this issue because it's so primary and it represents not the the total of all the things that they disagreed on, but it was like the lead that revealed just how far apart these two groups were. There's no good faith between these two groups and this is a problem. And so Paul in Romans 14, I wanna look at this because this is very interesting because if you're wondering how in the world did Paul bring these two groups together. How did he get them to agree? How did he get them on the same page? The answer is he didn't. Paul actually gave up on the idea that the two groups would agree. And instead he offers something else. Romans 14, 19. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. You know the difference between unison and harmony? I mean, unison has its place. If, if the band today had a moment where they all sang in unison and uh, it was just the voices and, and they sang out in, in unison and all followed the same exact pitch, that would be nice for a little bit. But you know what happens if the entire band only plays in unison, plays the exact same thing? Sounds like a foghorn. Just one note, everyone humming kind of like a chant. And I don't know, that's a little unsettling. You know what actually is probably more beautiful than in unison? is harmony. When all these different notes and, and, and these disparate kind of sounds come together to form something that sounds beautiful and is music, that's harmony. 
And I think Paul is giving up on the idea of unison, not because unity is unimportant, but because he realizes that there is an opportunity for something maybe even more beautiful if the church strives for harmony. If we come together with our differences, with our differences in opinion, giving up on the idea that we will all somehow convince each other to come to my way and instead allow God to do a deep work of forming harmony in the community. Check out verse 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. So Paul's saying, listen, he even sides with the folks that are saying, any of this is fine. We're actually not concerned about these antiquated religious rituals right now because we're under Jesus and this food is okay. Paul said, you know, I agree with that, but it's actually causing offense in the community. So you need to keep that to yourself. Wow. But Paul, if you just give me a minute, I'm sure I can convince him. No, 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 stop. But I'm going to share just one blog article with you, Paul, because I think this will, no, hmm? I don't know if you've noticed, but screaming rhetoric at each other hasn't really worked out so well. The most convincing arguments, if someone's not willing to receive that, listen, we need a better way. Society's fraying at the seams, and, and we, we can do something that's different than jumping on board with that train. We can strive for harmony, for peace with everyone. But Evan... What about my personal freedoms? What about my personal viewpoints? What about, Paul would say that personal freedoms are never as important. He didn't say they're not important. He said they're never as important as harmony within the church. It's getting quiet in here. I'm just talking about food, you guys. It's just. (laughs) So at your barbecue grill outs, you can, uh, pork, not pork, it's all good is what I'm saying. Uh, For the believer, preferring others isn't actually optional. Um, We have this kind of thought, maybe, um, that that being kind and considerate is um, maybe just like a nice thing. Like if I'm if I'm nice to my server or I'm passive aggressive with him at dinner, you know, does it really matter? If I if I say a snarky comment to you because I can tell that you're on a different side of an issue, that's not really sin, is it? Paul would say, actually, this isn't optional, folks. This is the gospel that we would prefer one another. That we would love in a way that actually costs us. And this is this is huge. Because Jesus himself in John 13, he backs up all that Paul is saying. When he told his disciples at the Last Supper, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And I've read that and I thought, that's strange because these disciples are like real close. They're like brothers. And if they love each other, is that really all that unique in the ancient world? I mean, did everyone hate each other so much that any kind of affection among any people would be shocking and and make them stand out? Of course not. Parents love their children. I'm sure there were, you know, battalions of Roman soldiers that, that were like brothers. I, I, you know, there, there's tight-knit communities um, in, in the first century. Of course, love was everywhere amongst people who were on the same team. 
So what Jesus is describing is a love that would actually make those disciples stand out and be marked as different. What he has to be talking about then is a love for those who are perceived as your enemies. A love that gives to even those who do not return the favor. A love that Jesus would express just a few hours later when he hung on a cross and he looked out on those that were crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's no coincidence that Jesus at that last supper, the main prayer he prays that the Holy Spirit would do such a work that those disciples would somehow stick together through some of the most difficult trials they'd ever experienced over the next hours and days and weeks is because everything is vying to tear disciples apart, to tear the community apart, to create division and distraction, and Jesus cries out, Father, make them one. Father, the love that you've given me and I've given them, let them be filled to overflowing. And so, you know, this is a, this is a challenge, I think, for all of us. And, and if you think I'm picking on, on, on one side or the other of some specific issue that you think I'm addressing, I will tell you this. I have experienced some real ugly sentiments, some things that are not befitting the community on both sides of most of these issues. Folks that are ready to write off and walk away from relationships on both sides of many of these issues. I'm not saying you all need to come over to my opinions. I have opinions. You're not actually here to hear those opinions. Today, what we're saying is there's a better way. And it sounds like harmony. So here's the challenge. We're going to put up on the screen Romans 12, 16 through 18. And um, you don't have to do this, of course. I can't force you to do anything. But I would love it if you would take a picture of this screen or write down the, the scripture verse. And when you go home, you print it out or you look it up, you write it down. And if you would put this, maybe it's the, the, the wallpaper on your phone, the background on your phone and the wallpaper on your computer. Maybe you hang it on the bathroom mirror, but somewhere where you see it, that before you go out and interact with people, before you decide if you're having a good day or a bad day, before you go on that message board or that news site, before you post that comment, before you go on Facebook, that you would read this to yourself Take the 15 seconds it takes to read it. Let it settle with you before you do anything. And by the way, if you take a picture of that screen and make it your wallpaper, please crop me out. I just, it's weird. You know? I just thought I'm uncomfortable with that. But let's do this. I'd like us all, if we can, let's read this together um, now. So live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone you can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. This kind of harmony requires a deep work of grace. Does anybody live on a well? Anybody have a well? That's where you get your water, yeah? Handful, uh, my, my in-laws live on a well. And um, I know nothing about wells, but I read that when you drill or dig a well, um, you don't stop at the first sign of water. Because when drought comes, the, the shallowest of wells, the most shallow wells are the ones that will dry up first. And so what you want to do is, is, I understand, you want to drill down into the deeper water tables. 
know, I think for, for many of us, um, it's been a challenge to, to find that deep reservoir of compassion and grace. And as we enter into more difficult times where decisions are having to be made and life is being interrupted maybe in different ways, that reservoir feels like it's been run dry. And you know, Jesus said this, he said, John the Baptist had come to baptize in water. I'm gonna do a deeper work. I'm gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The word baptism simply means to be immersed in. And I love this idea that when we have come to the end of our reservoir of compassion for those on the other side of the issues, the Holy Spirit does a deeper work, digs a deeper well. Back in Romans chapter five, Paul gives us hope for this. When he said, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, harmony comes when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I grew up in, in, in this church and you know, Pentecostal charismatic circles where we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And in those days, I always thought of it in terms of, you know, praying for miracles and seeing them happen and opening blind eyes and all that's really wonderful. But I wonder if, if a deep work of the power of the Holy Spirit is actually the power to never run dry of that reservoir of love, agape love and compassion that God would place in his church, in us, in you. That he would do a deeper work today. I, I read... Um, probably a couple months ago, someone got lost out in the woods nearby up on Century Drive. And uh, they sent out search parties, search and rescue, and teams of people would uh, walk around in, in likely trails and places where th this person who was lost might end up walking past. And so they would leave sign, a sign with instructions and some water and food. And you know, it would be really tragic if that person who was lost got to that place where they, they saw the sign, they saw the instructions, but there was actually no water in the vessel. And sometimes I wonder if we are sent out into the world and we, we feel like, hey, we got the truth. We know our stuff, we've got the word. But when they get to the vessels, you and me, they find that the waters run dry. And so today what we want to do is actually we want to invite the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in our hearts to, to like Paul was saying, that he, he would pour out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, the, the band's going to sing a beautiful song, Fall Afresh on Me. And I think it's a beautiful thing, you know, when I pray for you, when Pastor Steve or Pastor Ben or whoever prays for you, that the Holy Spirit would fill you. That's a beautiful thing. I think it's even more effective when you pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you. And so what I want to do is we, we, we close and the band comes. Would you stand with me? Um, and we're going to do just that. Uh, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit's work to fill us. Not just enough for us, not just enough for our family, not just enough for our team, not just enough for folks that agree with us, but enough to overflowing. That's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does to bring back together parts that had been broken and severed.
and divided. And so Holy Spirit, come now. We just ask you um, in this time where there's, there's just some real fatigue and frustrations and a feeling like, I don't even know if I wanna deal with it anymore. Uh, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, you would do something unique in your church that maybe isn't found anywhere else in society right now. And that's a work of agape love and, and the this Holy Spirit of God filling us up to overflowing so that when we don't think we have anything left to give, we would find ourselves filled to overflowing again and again. God, we pray for our enemies. Some who might, in our minds, actually be in this room. God, we just pray. Father, grace and blessing. Grace and blessing. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Would you just say that with me? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just say that right now where you're at. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. No shame today, guys. I don't, I don't blame you if you feel worn out. I don't blame you if you're like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. That's why we're here. That's why we're asking the Spirit of God to move.